You're listening to The Morning Muster, a podcast by Ben and Teresa Carey from Morse Alpha Expeditions. When I'm watching him handling this, I'm like, okay, everything is okay. And the only time I saw any terror in his eyes is when he said, okay, Nick, I need you to go down and turn on the engine. And I went to go turn the key and nothing happened. And we both looked at each other with our eyes wide. That's Nikki Ripple. We'll hear more from her in just a bit, because today we're talking about delivering boats. And we're talking with two sailors who recently completed their first yacht delivery and learned a lot. I'm Ben Carey, and this is The Morning Muster, where we get sailors together to talk about the most important topics of the day. So grab a cup of hot coffee, because we're about to muster. Teresa sat down with Nikki Ripple, a professional captain who's worked for Morse Alpha and Outward Bound, as well as a number of tall ships, and with Misha Kapanjimpanga, who was a Morse Alpha student last summer and recently bought his own Freya 39 to cruise aboard with his family of five. Teresa talked with them about their recent yacht deliveries, which Nikki and Misha did at nearly the same time from Maine to the Chesapeake. So if you're curious about boat deliveries and passage making and voyage planning in general, this episode is for you. They compared notes and discussed the ins and outs of moving a boat from one place to another on a schedule. So let's get to it. Hey, Misha and Nikki, thank you both so much for getting up early on a Sunday morning to be on the Morning Muster. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you for having Yeah, thank you for having us. So today we're going to talk about our first boat deliveries or our first multi-day passages. So let me just get this straight. You two each double-handed basically the same trip from Maine to the Chesapeake at nearly the same time, only like one day different. And for both of you, this was a pretty significant voyage. Is that right? Yeah, for me, um, it was. I had done deliveries before, but it's been a long time and I don't typically do them on smaller vessels. So uh, definitely significant. And by small vessel, how big was the boat you were on? It, it was 52 feet. So I guess not so <laughs> small, but um, typically I'm a, or I had done them on tall ships, done delivery on tall ships. So that was relatively small for me. Yeah. And the reason I asked that, because like most of our listeners would probably say 52 feet is a big boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Misha, how about you? It was an amazing trip. I'd done deliveries before, but nothing uh, quite like that. And the ones I'd done before were, you know, in freshwater through the canal systems. But this was, yeah, an exceptional trip offshore. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I hope I get to do a lot more of that. Yeah. I heard some stories from Benji, who was sailing with you, Nikki, and it sounded like a real adventure. When Benji and I were first sailing our our first boats, we were sailing solo, but kind of in convoy for the most part. And I did my first overnight passage. But for me, cro- crossing the threshold, or we used to say the threshold, because three is a pretty significant number in many applications. But cro- crossing that threshold was doing a three-day passage that required two overnights in a row. And for me, that was a significant number because it meant you had to go to sleep. You couldn't pull an all-nighter to keep an eye on things. And so for me, sleeping and entrusting the boat to my shipmate, or if I was sailing solo, just entrusting the boat, has always been a key ingredient that made passage making different than all the other sailing I had done. So what was it for you two that is your threshold or threshold? (laughs) 
I think I agree, uh, agree with you in the sense of passage of time and distance. I mean, you know, going from one place to another on a short, you know, little excursion is, is excellent. But when you <clears throat> tie that into multiple days, uh, you're offshore uh, and you're traveling significant distance. Uh, that, that was definitely a big threshold for me. Yeah, I would have to say the same. Um, so being able to go offshore and, you know, uh, me and Ben were doing six hours on, six hours off. So which feels when you're out there like a significant amount of time to be on watch, um, especially at night, you know, being offshore, knowing that weather was building during that time and just like trying to make it from point A to point B was big for me. Another significant part of that was what you just said about having to trust the person who's going to be on watch. And that's so big for me. I've learned the lesson a couple times up front that I can't sail with people that I don't know beforehand, uh, just for safety, like my own safety. And also as uh, sailing as somebody who identifies as a woman, I have a hard time just saying yes to a delivery where I don't know that person and knowing that I'm going to be offshore or alone on a boat like that. Nikki, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because a lot of times people sail with people they don't know. They they go to like a rally and walk the docks and hop on a boat because someone needs crew or they go to some of those crew finding websites and get connected with people who need crew and never meet them until they fly out to the boat and they're going to leave on a trip two days later or something. So you said you learned some lessons that way. And yet, and yet you trusted Benji. <laughs> I did. Well, you know, I'd, I've known Ben for a while, obviously, and I've sailed with him before. I remember while we were on the boat, um, Ben said, oh, yeah, Misha met somebody uh, or heard of somebody through a connection and ended up getting on this boat with them. And I was like, wow, I, I don't know if I could do that. I've done a delivery before where I did not know the captain or a few of the crew, and I went with one friend. And we ended up having to leave before it left the dock because uh, once we actually went out to do a test sail, we realized, oh, this captain doesn't know how to sail the boat and also is <laughs> under the influence of something. And there were a couple other red flags while we were outfitting the boat, but it was just a reminder to me that I like to check with other people. Like, have you sailed with this captain before? Do you know any of these crew? How do you feel about them? Would you go offshore with them? when I first started was 10 years ago, looking on those crew finding websites that you're talking about. And I remember seeing a mm -hmm. couple of posts that said like, um, I'm a male looking for a younger woman to sail with offshore. And I remember thinking uh -huh. that's quite a thing to put on a post. And um, mm -hmm. I should probably do some research before I do go offshore with somebody. Cause once you're out there, you're really out there. Yeah. I, I actually had a similar experience to you, Nikki, where I was going to do an Atlantic crossing and I was there for like, I don't know, a week or so before the trip started, um, getting the boat ready and all that sort of thing and getting to know the crew. And it crept up on me slowly, just starting to feel a little uncomfortable with it. And these all these little hints about why it wasn't going to be a great idea. And I bailed also like the day before mm -hmm. and flew home. and. Before I even got off the plane, something had happened to the boat and they had yeah. water over the floorboards and they had to turn around and come back. And they were nice people, but they weren't reassuring me enough. Like they were saying, oh, it's going to be okay. But just telling me it's going to be okay, it's not going to be enough. I need to to feel more secure than that. But you're right. I mean, I kind of learned the same lesson as you. And so anytime 
I meet people who are like, oh yeah, I'm going to try hop on a boat or this and that. I always tell them, you can ask for a resume. You can ask mm-hmm. for a copy of the recent survey and you can ask for references. I feel like that's, besides knowing the person, that's the next best thing. I, I can't think of any other thing you could, you could ask for. Or you could ask for a, a test sale, like, a you know, can we go sailing for a yeah, day or two beforehand? Definitely. I think that's a great oh. idea. And that's not to say that, I mean, there's a ton of really great and capable people out there. And I think the yeah. lesson learned there is just do your research and, and follow your gut or listen to your gut as well. Yeah. Um, but Misha, was that true for you that you ended up sailing? Like, had you met the person you were sailing with? And how was that for you? Yeah, no, it's very true. And I, I didn't do any of the things that you guys are describing. So it's, it's, it's nice to hear what your experiences have been. In this case, I was moored on my boat in Rockland and met, and he was similarly anchored out. Um, he had uh, two young children and I have three young children. You know, there's not a lot of families out on the mooring. So we would see each other coming and going on our daily routine, maybe go taking the kids to the park, having met them, you know, in that kind of context. Um, but we didn't spend that much time together because we're raising families and, and busy with the kids and keeping them occupied. Um, but we uh, had had very nice conversations when we did spend time together. And that led to working on a couple projects, you know, helping them if they needed anything or him helping me with climbing the mast or doing a few projects on my boat. So that, that was the extent of our relationship, which wasn't all that much. And this captain has, and family really has had quite a bit of experience before having kids. But with the children who were who are very young, they were you know, planning on, on moving the boat all the way down to, to the Chesapeake so that he was looking for crew, which is obviously a difficult thing to do. So when that came up in conversation, I mentioned it would be an experience for me to do something like that. And, and I uh, offered to do it. So it was, yeah, it was very kind of, you know, not a lot of due diligence, but um, but generally a good feeling about this captain and this family in general. And I, I kind of wanted to help them out. Yeah. That was this summer. And earlier in the summer, you did a more self sail training course. And, yeah. so, and you also just bought your boat this summer. And so I have to ask you, did more self prepare you for the trip? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's a big difference between delivering boats and, and having a boat. We did acquire our boat about two years ago, and I did very little sailing on the first season. And the second was when I engaged your program. And it was an amazing, amazing program. Um, and particularly from this perspective of owning a boat versus delivering, I'd say having a boat you know, takes up a huge amount of my time, pre and post season. The Morse Alpha program, you know, was an incredible way to have to engage my own family in exactly what we were up to kind of providing the structure to get them fully engaged so yeah you know it's it was amazing from the perspective of delivering uh yeah it was you know navigation and being completely comfortable with with that and which is was really of course yeah a massive advantage yeah and benji was telling me that it was kind of fun that he and nikki were on their boat that they were delivering and you were on the other boat and you were just a day's difference in departure time and where you were at and that you were texting back and forth and talking about the journey. And I remember Ben and I doing that when we were sailing our boats, we would sometimes give each other a heads up or just share what was going on. What was interesting though, is that so often people would say to me, oh, Ben's on his boat and you're on yours and and Ben can help you when you need it. And, Mm -hmm. but 
But no, it wasn't like that at all. And it also Mm -hmm. reminds me of the rallies, like the ARC rally or the Salty Dog rally. When I've been involved in the rallies and met other sailors, like a common motivation that I heard from people choosing to do the rally is basically safety in numbers. There's someone else out there to help you when you need it. I find that really interesting. But did you two feel just having this connection between the two boats? Did you feel safer? Were you actually safer? Or what was what was that yeah. like? I loved it. I loved it because you're your own you're your own space and you're doing your own thing out there and you're separated by I think in our case it was like twenty four to thirty hours or something like that. We're moving in the same direction. The weather systems that we're dealing with are common and some of the larger decisions are common in this particular case. We didn't know if we would be heading offshore after the Cape Cod Canal, for example, to touching base with each other. And and it wasn't so much looking at weather together. There was no time for that, but just like we'd all probably be looking at weather along the way and wondering what individual outcomes or thoughts were on that. And a lot of the decisions were left to very the last minute, to be honest. And I really enjoyed having that articulation with another boat um, heading in the same direction and some of the decisions that could have happened. We, you know, we could have gone on the outside of Long Island and at the very last minute decided, you know what, we're, we're going to play it safe, go through the city. And, and that, and mm-hmm. we did that, you know, touched base with Nikki and Ben and to see if, if they would make the same decision. And, and I wasn't sure if they would, and I was really curious to know if they would. And if they hadn't, you know, how, what would that sale have been like? And so, yeah, it's really fun to do that. Yeah. I, I thought it was awesome because we were able to text back and forth. Things would happen like when we were trying to get through the Long Island Sound, Ben and I were, because we were one day apart, they were a little bit farther ahead and they were like, okay, we're going to tuck in here before the storm. And Ben and I had been talking about if we're able to make it through New York City, where can we go? Here's an option here. Here's an option here. Neither of them are great. And then when Misha had texted us, we were like, I remember sitting there and zooming in on the chart and being like, oh my God, didn't even know we could get in there. That's great. That's going to be the perfect hiding spot for the storm. Mm -hmm. And another thing, that I really, I don't know if the word is enjoyed, but maybe that it highlighted for me was (laughs) we did start one day apart. So that was a direct comparison. Like we had prior to leaving for the trip, we'd obviously been watching that system that was coming up the coast and knowing that we should be leaving earlier, but because I had a a work obligation, I couldn't leave until the 27th. And uh, I was like, I think this is going to screw us that we can't leave a day earlier. The only reason why we still ended up going out is because we knew we had a ton of bailout options. So either way, it was going to be safe. It was just how well will the time be made? Um, so we got to watch like what were they able to skirt by that we weren't able to because we left a day later. And if we had had more mm. flexibility, we would have timed it with the system in this way. So it was really fun to analyze each of the journeys. And you did hit some weather. I heard about yeah. this. You, <laughs> uh, tell me about that. The big storm. Oh, the weather oh the big storm um it was slowly building it was interesting now which is a bit different than when i first started sailing um just the way that technology allows you to really watch as the mm-hmm. storm is coming so we're like watching on all these apps like cross examining all these systems and you can feel it start like just a little bit of chop just a little bit of sea state building and uh, as we're coming down the Long Island Sound, or like coming past Block Island, uh, I was on watch that night. And I remember, I mean, everybody has this moment, I think, when you're sailing, thinking, why did I decide to do this? More than one time. 
Yeah, like and, I, and for ten for ten years, I make that decision every every day to keep doing this. But um, I was like, wow, I've I've gone wrong somewhere in life that I've decided to do this every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, of course, I love it, but the sea state is building, and um, and it's dark, and I was like, I don't know. Like, you're starting to examine, like, are we actually going to make it as far as we think we are? Because I think the system's coming a little earlier than it than it says. Mm -hmm. And as we got in the Long Island Sound, it actually happened quite quickly that um, sea states building up, we keep taking in sail, we keep taking in sail. And there came a point where we couldn't take in any more sail. And Mm -hmm. um, our autopilot was becoming overpowered and the alarms were going off for that. So Ben came up, he was busy down below decks doing something. um, But he finally came up and took over the wheel and he's steering, but we we looked and it ended up being gusting 40 knots uh, or maybe mm-hmm. sustained. I can't remember. I'd have to ask him, but it, we were getting tossed around in the sea state in the wind. Um, and mm-hmm. we didn't have that much control over the boat. So we're now fair pulling, meaning we don't have any sail up. Wow. And there yeah. was a, except for this tiny corner, which our roller furl could not take that in. And he was like, I think that is what's tossing us around right now is that little corner. <laughs> of sail. He was like, okay, Nick, I need you to go down and turn on the engine. And one other reminder or lesson from this is how important it is for the person in charge to remain calm or to like appear calm. Because when I'm watching him handling this, I'm like, okay, everything is okay. And the only time I saw any terror in his eyes is when he said, please turn on the engine. And I went to go turn the key and nothing happened. And we both looked at each other for a moment (laughs) with our eyes wide. And then I said, and then I was like, I can just see this. (laughs) Before that, he's laughing and joking. And I was like, this is so much fun. um, (laughs) I got to turn on. I turned the key. Nothing. We're both looking at each other for a moment. And then I was like, the battery. I didn't turn the battery on. And then. And then we both start laughing, <laughs> laughing nervously as if like we always knew it was going to be okay. But there was a moment when we were like, are we okay? I mean, it's not um, a boat you're familiar with either of you. You know, it's a new boat for you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And it, I mean, it was fun. We were able to like get behind the lee with using our um, engine power. But, and Misha, where, <laughs> at, at that point, were you all in New York City? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm just thinking about that and trying to remember. I think I was watching the system really closely, and we were being a day ahead of you. I kind of knew where you were. We were tucked in literally right before the first bridge going into the East River. And we were pretty comfortable there. And you guys are a day behind. So we left in the morning and anchored in uh, a little bay, which I can't quite recall the name of. But I was watching the system closely. There was like a little micro system happening right behind us. I think that is where you guys were at that time. And for us, though, you know, we were heading down the East River, I think, when you guys were coming down the Sound. And uh, we got a a ton of rain, but we were pretty comfortable. But yeah, you were on some kind of tail of the system that was pretty, I could imagine, being pretty uncomfortable for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just skirted it. We felt the brunt of the system, but, but we weren't in the, in the sound where, where those winds were up to 40 knots. We kind of escaped quite a bit of that. Yeah. And in the sound too, it's not like you get these 
uh, gentle rollers. You get a lot of chop mm-hmm. in there. And, um, yeah. and so I remember my first delivery and the boat was called Last Mango. It was a caliber 35. The trip was horrible. I felt like we motored <laughs> into chop and breaking waves the entire time, even though I, I know that was only like a small part of the trip. But if it had been a cruise, like on my own schedule or pleasure cruising or even educational, um, maybe we would have stopped and took a break, maybe watched a movie <laughs> and then right. carried on. And so I was just I'm wondering intrigued. how this type of voyage where you're delivering a boat, you're moving it from point A to point B, how does that change your approach to, to navigation planning or route planning? Nikki, I know you've done a lot of education, teaching teenagers how to sail. You know, you're definitely thinking about different things. Sail, as sailors, we think about a lot of things. We think about the weather. We think about how capable the crew is. But we also have to think about, like, uh, what is our goal for this voyage? I mean, I remember one trip that I was doing where I had passengers aboard and I had all the sails reefed down and it was a nice, gentle 10 or 12 knots of wind. And, and Benji texted me and said, why are you reefed? And I said, well, I don't want to spill the wine because my guests <laughs> were all enjoying wine. Like that was the mission of that trip. <laughs> and um, yeah. so every trip has a little bit different mission. And so I guess I was wondering mm-hmm. how did this mission of moving from point A to point B and just getting there, delivering a boat, what decisions did that influence that you might've done differently if you were mm. pleasure sailing? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think just the, the schedule that there's no stopping there's no you know you are looking at the weather systems um but you you might tuck in somewhere briefly but generally speaking um there is not a lot of downtime and you're you are you're aggressively moving a boat from point a to point b and i feel like i think that's pretty consistent with most deliveries i would say during this trip if if i was trying not to spill the wine i think we would still be out there (laughs) (laughs) i mean not really but it was um we definitely would have been sitting somewhere for a couple of days, whereas the point A to point B, you know you have to get there, which is what I love about expeditionary sailing or delivery sailing is that it is like a puzzle. You know you have to go from point A to point B, and you have to fit all the pieces together and figure out like which way, which route, um, what tide cycles. You have to time everything perfectly and do what you have to do to do that and maybe take those pieces yeah. apart and try to fit them together in a different way. Benji told me that you had created this detailed map and like drew it all out or something like that. Um, oh, and, yeah. really, and, and this particular delivery had a few spots that required really precise timing. Like at Cape Cod Canal, you needed to go through the canal with the current. At the race exactly. in Long Island Sound, also big currents there and swift currents. And then also Hell's Gate mm-hmm. in New York. And I think those are the big ones. So how did you plan for those? Yeah, that's the good question. Um, And actually what I was going to say before, I think because we had a goal in mind to get there, we used the engine a lot more than we probably would have if we were um, pleasure cruising. But yeah, that, that was the biggest part of the puzzle is leaving the Cape Cod Canal and getting through New York City. All of the tide cycles are quite different. So you have to time everything a little bit differently, which Ben and I ended up drawing that out. Like, okay, we have to hit the entrance to the sound at this time. And then we have this many hours to get to the entrance to go into New York city. Um, we might have to waste some time out here to wait for the tide to turn. Uh, this is how many miles we have. This is the speed we're going. And it was a lot mm-hmm. of figuring of like, how can we actually hit that? Do we need to speed up? Do we need to slow down? Mm-hmm. I, I actually yeah. love that. That's like one of my favorite things to do is that kind of planning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yes. Totally. We spent a ton of time. That's what I loved about having this uh, 
this, you guys being, you know, slightly behind us as well. Because as we were doing the same kind of figuring, I knew that you would be, you know, those are obstacles, essentially, those, those tide cycles. And I was watching and imagining, well, you guys are going to get stuck for a significant period before you can get through Hell's Gate or even the Cape Cod Canal. Um, so it was fun. That was one of the most interesting things about having communication back and forth for me. It's just as we are trying to figure out these, these cycles and mapping that planning out, wondering how it, you know, being 24 hours behind, if it would just be a simple or it, it's a, a really interesting puzzle, as you said, Nikki. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because of the system and because of the, we had to wait out a tide cycle, we actually ended up in Huntington, Long Island for a night, which mm-hmm. thank God, because we needed more cheese somehow. <laughs> we we reprovisioned the whole mm-hmm. boat after two days, but I think that was kind of a mistake. We definitely had a little too much food. Better to have too much food than to food stress. I mean, food stress is real. If there's not your comfort foods there, you know, when you, that you can just grab and eat when you're in a stressful moment. You know, and you told us that, Teresa, before we left, you said, um, if if it's ever stressful out there, one minute feels like one week. So try not to get yourself into this. So we thought after two days, we we're like, wow, we have been out here for three years. We need to get more food. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there was another challenge for you both. You were stepping onto a new boat, a new boat to you, at least, and learning everything. And you can go through the boat, you know, do a pre-departure checklist, check the systems, ask all the questions. But at some point, you're casting off lines and heading out. And there's still a lot of unknown about the boat. It's unfamiliar. So how did that feel for you two? Why does that matter? Um, Yeah. So getting on a completely new boat, I, I was with the owner of the boat. So that was great. Um, it was an impressive boat. It was, you know, Bruce Roberts, 50-foot steel steel hull, so pretty heavy, cutter-rigged. And it was a, the conditions we were riding down a, a northeaster, so we knew it was downwind sailing, um, kind of optimum conditions. But the thing is, it didn't change the fact. We still had some issues along the way. Uh, once we made it to Provincetown, we did hydrolock the engine, and that could have been as a result of significant um, swell as we were running downwind and it, water may have just pushed through the exhaust system. Um, so when we arrived and like you, Nikki, when you talked about turning that key and there was absolutely nothing, there was absolutely nothing. So we had to sail into our anchorage in Provincetown and spend the next 12 or so hours figuring out how to uh, get all the water out of the cylinders and the system. And we did about five or six oil changes uh, and get that system running up, uh, running again pretty quickly. That was uh, arguably not stressful, but interesting. Uh, and I did learn a lot, mm-hmm. but, you know, the sailing that you can have so many different situations that will affect the boat differently. And I, it's hard to imagine why we had water build up in the engine like that. But mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, there's so many dynamic things that happen. I think we, we caught a lobster trap on our way down and probably hauled oh, it wow. for who knows bug. <laughs> you know, a million different things are going to happen. And uh, <laughs> it's new to the cat, to the captain of the boat, new to me. You know, there's, there's always, uh, I think despite being the owner of the boat, we were still experiencing things in new ways and discovering things about the boat. And luckily, we had the ability to hunker down and, and fix some of the problems that we had. Mm. Yeah, Misha, I forgot, and we did. We were not as familiar with the boat. Uh, but speaking of 
feeling comfortable with who you're sailing with, one of the first things that I usually do when I sail with somebody uh, is ask them if they know where the safety gear is, which Ben was the captain on this trip. And anything I asked about, he could point out right away. He had already done like a thorough check of the boat and, and learned the systems before we got off the dock which is important if you don't know the boat, that you should be um, spending that time to get familiar, spending that time with the owner. And luckily we had internet during our trip. So we actually were able to contact the owners a lot to ask about little things that we didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And so Ben said that it had been a while since he'd sailed on a boat that wasn't Rasinante or Ural's boat. And he was like, I forgot how many little systems there are, like even as far as cookware or stuff like that. So I think... um, definite learning curve for us on this new vessel Mm -hmm. um which it was a really awesome boat it was a unique boat not not many of them have been made and so there was a learning curve and much like Misha said like when they're testing the boat through those kinds of systems and the captain is already familiar with how the boat will react that is something that we were kind of just finding out in the moment and thankfully people like Ben like he has a lot of experience sailing on different types of vessels and knows uh, okay, A, B, or C could happen um, and is prepared for that. Mm-hmm. We did have a moment where when we first left the dock, I went down to go to sleep. I was like, I was off watch. And I was like, I know that when you're running the engine, you're always going to smell a little bit of diesel. But I told him, I said, I, this smells way too much like diesel. There's no way they sleep like this. And he looked in the engine room and it was, you know, we had diesel pouring out of the engine. And that's something that, because he, I already knew this from sailing with him in Morris Alpha, that he's very knowledgeable about engines. So I felt really good with him. Um, He was able to go in there and figure out what was going on right away. And, you know, the owner had mentioned, yeah, we just had the the engine serviced. And it was that, that somebody had forgotten to turn a fuel injector, like a quarter of a turn tighter. And so, right. But if if it, you know, if... If he hadn't known those things, then that would be a different. That would have been scary. Yeah. You're like, why? Yeah, <laughs> you're just walking onto another boat and and hoping that you have enough knowledge of systems that you can yeah uh, hit whatever arises, which is what's great about seeing somebody like him. When when we choose people to sail with us for more self expeditions, Benji and I are each looking for different types of people. And for me, I think I I have some basic engine skills. I have done some big projects on my engine. I replaced a vent connecting rod, which is a big project. But also at the same time, I was at anchor and I took my time and I read the manual. And you don't always have that luxury when you're on a delivery or a training expedition. And so I always look for someone to sail with me that's really Mm -hmm. good with with engines. And um, Ben has certain characteristics that he's looking for and people that he sails with that complement him. And I think it's we usually look for different types of people because when we sailed together, we complemented each other so well. And so that could be another thing when we're talking about like deciding who you're going to sail with when you're just meeting someone. That could be another thing that you ask is what skills do you have? What skills are you looking for? And see if you're a complimentary person mm-hmm. so that you're not sailing, you're not getting on a boat knowing nothing about engines, sailing with someone who also feels the same way. So that's very true. <laughs> it's funny. I, I've done a marine diesel course and and the thing is, diesel engines are pretty remarkable in that they're fairly simple. Um, but even in that course, I, you know, we never would have dealt with injectors, for example. Like, that's a system that you would just pass off to attack, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So in this process of doing this trip and having to take apart the injector system 
and put it back together was actually just a pretty amazing thing for me to to, to be realizing that you know what it continues to be pretty simple and doable. So you both did a passage and you both had engine, an engine issue that you had to address. What are the odds of that? Actually, probably quite high. <laughs> yeah, probably quite yeah. high. I remember, Misha, when we saw you in the airport, we uh, met up at the Portland airport. And I think we obviously had all showered, but we all looked like we'd seen something a little bit. <laughs> or like mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. We all met in the airport with all of our bags and we're like, wow you made it. And um, it felt so good to see somebody else who had gone through the same exact um, scenario as us. Yeah, I enjoyed that The energy was so high when I picked you guys up from the airport and we all got in the van. Just like the energy was so high. A lot of excitement after that trip. (laughs) Definitely. Well, the passage that you two did is the hardest kind of passage, I think. A lot of people think that a a big ocean passage is the pinnacle of cruising challenges, the the badge of honor. Mm. But you were not out at sea. You were near land, but not necessarily close enough to take immediate shelter. And yet you're dealing with tides and currents and something every day. And the big one, boat traffic. You had that on Mm -hmm. top of it. You went through New York. Mm -hmm. You had that the entire time. And still you had to change watches. You're sailing through the night. How did you handle all of that? What were the challenges there? That is a good question. As soon as you started talking, I thought, oh, we didn't even mention the big one, which was marine traffic, um, which I was looking back through uh, some of the pictures. And a lot of my pictures were of the marine traffic app and how many boats were around us on that app. Like every time mm-hmm. you open that, you're just surrounded because I usually sell for Outward Bound and we don't we do everything traditionally. So we don't use any apps or phones or technology. So for something like this, I was really grateful that we had internet so we could look at, at night, I could see there's a shipping boat coming down and we're going to meet that in about 30 minutes and I better alter my course. Um, or I was grateful to be able to see what the weather was doing. I guess in short, what, what really we did is Ben and I would meet constantly and consider all the variables and write them down or keep an eye on all those things that you just mentioned. It almost felt like we were gossiping all the time, just gossiping about what was, <laughs> what, was, what was upcoming. That's the thing about this kind of passage is that it is a constant all of the time. I think that's the point. It's not like an ocean crossing where you set the sails and you hit the trade winds and nothing changes for days, mm-hmm. perhaps. And then maybe you get some weather or whatever. But things can happen out there. Of course they can, but they happen at a different pace. It's always the the land ocean interface where the big challenges are the big weather systems, the big tide currents and the Mm -hmm. traffic. It's good. Definitely good to have resources Mm -hmm. that you understand how to use out there. I was grateful that there wasn't a lot of fog on that one, but yeah, no, it's it's a big part of why I wanted to do it. I wanted to do that. That trip is, I feel like it's the nut of the East coast to crack and, um, and it it was great to do it. And uh, it's a challenging one, but really fun. Yeah. Uh, Nikki, I want to hear about your stowaway. Oh my God. Yes. Our stowaway. She was perhaps the highlight of my trip. When we were off the Jersey coast, I was down below decks off watch and I, I was sleeping. It was probably about one thirty in the afternoon, 1330 for all the sailors out there. And I, I was sleeping with one knee up and I felt somebody tapping my knee and I thought Ben was getting me for watch. And I was like, Oh, I feel like I just laid down, but I peeled open one eye and I see a bird sitting on my knee and I could not believe it. <laughs> I absolutely could not believe it. 
a small bird sitting on my knee looking straight at me. And then I I tried to take a picture and it flew away. It leaves and then I shut all the doors, but she finds a way back in. And this time I'm sleeping, I, I feel some wind on my face and she's flapping her wind her wings on my face. <laughs> <laughs> and she she keeps flying in and landing next to my face and hitting me in the face. So I'm like, oh my God, she must want something. But uh She's not shy. She's not shy. But you know what? My sister who studies birds said work smarter, not harder, because we were heading south and this bird had obviously gotten lost offshore and was riding with us south for about 15 hours. And we got we got a bunch of pictures of her standing watch. She did fall asleep on watch, but I'm not holding that against her. And um, she needed a break. <laughs> she needed a break. Girl needed a break. And I got some pictures of her monitoring channel one six. She fell asleep on the toilet on in the head. <laughs> She was everywhere, and we did think maybe we should try to get her to leave, but she was so cute. And then um, we woke up in the morning, and she had left in the night. But before she left, she flew into every single cabin space and left us a little present, so we didn't we didn't feel it. Kind of soiled <laughs> my experience with her. I thought kind of differently of her after that, but <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, she was great. We got her a ride to Virginia, and she left. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Misha, did you have any fun surprises like that on your no, trip? No, I enjoyed hearing about that one on the way. I saw a picture, but we did not have any stowaways on our phone. <laughs> well, thank you both for talking with me. It was a pleasure to hear about your journeys. Yes, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having us. It was fun. Well, that wraps up another enlightening episode of The Morning Muster. If you're hungry for more, stop by our website at morsealpha.com. Click on the podcast section and you'll find all our previous episodes right there. And while you're cruising our website, don't forget to check out our sail training expeditions. We've got another educational season ahead, so make sure to grab your bunk before they're gone. Again, that's morsealpha.com. M-O-R-S-E-A-L-P-H-A.com. You can also catch us on Instagram, where we're known as Morse Alpha Expeditions. Until our next rendezvous, remember, sail with purpose and always stay found.